good to be with you again. What a treat. As many of you know, I'm a brand new Episcopalian. Compared to a lot of you, I didn't find the Episcopal branch of the Jesus Movement until sometime in 2013. I became confirmed in 2015, ordained as a deacon in 2021, along with, I'll call her my partner in crime, Kathy. And while I went to Anglican Seminary to learn how to spell Episcopalian, it will take a lifetime to grow into the richness of our long, long, great heritage. And on this third Sunday in Advent, what you probably take for granted, I'm more like the little Jewish kid sitting at Passover dinner asking the question, how come we have a seat placed for an empty chair? What's that all about? And he finds out that it's Elijah's chair and in Jewish tradition would have it, the prophet will be the harbinger of the coming of the Messiah and a world and the world's redemption. So I asked myself before I heard from Deacon Kathy this morning, how come the candle is pink? Yeah, I went with pink. It's really rose, okay, if we're into the tradition of it. And it's um, partly because it's something that in Latin is called Gaudat Sunday. Gaudat is Latin for rejoice. So it's Rejoice Sunday. The pink candle signifies a break in what Kathy referred to as the darkness of the rest of Advent, but um, the word is actually, again in the Latin, penitential. Interesting correlation, isn't it, between the word penitential, offering penance, and what we now refer to today as penitentiary. It's a break in that cycle as we rejoice in the coming of the Messiah 2,000 years ago. And in a way, we look forward to his return, not only at Christmas, but almost on a daily basis. And I want to talk a little bit about that today as well. So how do we celebrate the coming of Christ when there is so much in the world today that for you and me, it feels like there's no room in the inn for rejoicing. Externally and internally, there's no room anymore sometimes for celebration. Richard Rohr actually took a, a, a take on that in this morning's meditation. He said that for the first 1,200 years or so of the church, Easter was the go-to high, high holy day for celebrating the cross and resurrection. But then, as Richard would have it, in the 13th century, this guy by the name of Francis came along, and Francis intuited something kind of interesting that I'd never heard these words put together this way before. Francis intuited that we really didn't have to wait for the cross and the resurrection to celebrate the love of God because the love of God is already incarnate 
in us. That's pretty amazing when you stop to think about that. Friday morning, just before my 8 a.m. monthly therapy session, a part of my monthly routine, I meet with my spiritual director once a month, and I meet with my therapist once a month. And yes, I will be doing that until I leave this body and go on to a new existence, okay? And unfortunately, I decided to check my email, and maybe some of you did or did not know or hear, but unfortunately, my home church, Trinity Episcopal Church, had been violated once one more time um, with an individual that threw a rock through one of the repaired glass windows leading into our office. And I have to confess with you, just like some of you reacted, I have to confess to you that my first reaction was one of grief and anger. And I heard myself admitting, how long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget us forever? In any case, I decided not to dwell on the sadness I was feeling. And with this sweet lady that I've been going to for therapy for the last year or so now, I was reminded together with her that connecting with my inner true self, connecting with my inner true self is always the best way to find a more balanced take on things to do the both and with joy and despair and somehow ineffably is the word that comes to my mind because you really can't put this in words, experience the both and of joy and despair concurrently. I was reminded that we live in a broken world and sometimes all we can do is participate in what Judaism has had as a tradition for hundreds of years. It's called, I pronounce it, tikkun olam. And it means to suffer with those who are suffering in order to do what we can do as individuals in helping to repair the world. And in fact, compassion which is one way that we can help out with that, is literally, it means in the original Latin that it's the word comes from, with suffering. With suffering. We participate in suffering with others in order to help repair the world. And sadly, as we know, those in power in Israel, you know, in today's present horror, have lost sight of their true selves, and they've lost it as evidenced by the violence being perpetrated on the innocents in Gaza and in the West Bank. And instead, they have elected to pay hatred back with hatred. And the hatred that was perpetrated on them a couple of months ago when Hamas, the voice, the rulers of the displaced, decided to attack innocents in Israel and see if they couldn't start a conflagration. 
Their sense of duty, Jewish, uh, let me just stop and say, Jewish organizations around the world, and especially here in the United States, but also in Israel, have a different voice. This is not the nation of Israel. This is not the people of Israel. This is not the people who are Jewish here in the United States. Their voice is to practice the tradition of tikkun olam. They write that their sense of duty is strengthened by the notion that as the children and grandchildren of Holocaust survivors, their existence is a privilege and Jewish Americans are duty-bound to protect the vulnerable. Their framework is now guiding the vocal protests for American Jews all over. And from Karen Armstrong this week, she quotes the Koran as a reminder that the Koran is in agreement with the same sentiment. She quotes these passages from the Koran. In the early days, Muslims did not see Islam as a new exclusive religion, but as a continuation of the primordial faith of the people of the book, the Jews and the Christians. In one remarkable passage, God insists that Muslims must accept indiscriminately the revelations of every single one of God's messengers, Abraham, Isaac, Ishmael, Jacob, Moses, Jesus, and all of the prophets. The Quran is simply a confirmation of the previous scriptures. Nobody must be forced to accept Islam because God was not the exclusive property of any one tradition. And the key words that connect us to today's gospel reading. The divine light could not be confined to a single lamp. I don't know about you, but that just puts chills all through me. The divine light, the enlightenment of God, cannot be constrained or confined to a single lamp. And so on this third Sunday, as members of the Episcopal branch of the Jesus Movement, we can rejoice with our Muslim and Jewish brothers and sisters celebrating the third Sunday of Advent as we rejoice in the embedded, incarnate love of God inside each one of us. We read in today's Gospel passage, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. And we also rejoiced in the light that is about to be revealed as we read the gospel passage from Luke, which we call the Magnificat of Mary, as she rejoiced and rejoices in God, her Savior. Now, being a disciple of the book, <laughs> um, 
for some reason, and it continues to be unknown to me, and I'm sure there's some sort of archaic reason for all of this, but I'm going to go off book a little bit here. <laughs> um, the reading doesn't include John 1, 9. It just skips over to verse 29, which is what we heard from Tony this morning. And for me, John 1, 9 is rich in that it's a parenthetical. Who knows, maybe it was added a little later, whatever. Um, I'm sorry, I just used that word, and I hate that word, whatever. Usually when I hear that word, it's heard like, whatever. <laughs> but it's a parenthetical. Let me read it to you. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. The light that enlightens everyone is what I want to explore with you for just a couple more minutes today. It means to render evident, to cause something to exist and thus come to light and be clear to all. I believe the dream of God has always been for humanity to discover and experience the true light within, what psychologists and mystics both refer to as the inner true self. I know those are a lot of words and maybe more words than a mustard seed calls for, but that's my mustard seed for the day. I believe the dream of God has always been for humanity to discover the light within, the embedded true self that can enliven us and by enlivening us, enlivening, enlivening everybody that we meet. How sweet is that? And when psychologists and mystics, when science and religion come together and they intersect, I know about you, but that's when I kind of go, oh, I better, no I better notice this. Because this is a new take on reality that maybe gets us a little closer to the realness of reality. In the Christian tradition, we also refer to the embedded true self as the inner witness or what some call the divine DNA. We are all children created in the image and likeness of God. But image is our heritage. Show of hands. Is it, we're all children of God in this room, period. Okay, we are all, regardless of where we are on our journey of faith, whoever we are, we are all children of God. But likeness is something we acquire. Likeness is our personal appropriation of that reality, living in to what is already true. Two people might equally be in the image of God, but one chooses to become kind and forgiving, inclusive, we grow into the likeness in varying degrees. So, in one psychological take on this, the inner true self is characterized by a bunch of C's. 
and I'll just give you a few of them. The inner true self that's embedded in each one of us that we can discover is characterized by courage. The courage to accept the things that I cannot change. The courage to accept the fact that I'll never get it all right. The courage to speak the truth without judgment or resentment. Curiosity. Why is that candle pink? Why is this inner voice that I also hear yelling at me all of the time? Maybe I could have a dialogue with that voice and figure out what's going on here? What's unresolved inside of me that needs to be addressed? Its existence in each one of us is the common thread that unites us in the family of God. And perhaps the most amazing thing about this common thread is that it actually celebrates our uniqueness, the nuance of this divine DNA, this, this expression of God, and yours. They're nuanced. They're nuanced. And so, the only way we can get in touch with reality in the bigger scope of things is to co-create meaning and value with each other. Notice the preposition with. There's no over-under here. There's no ordained layperson over-under thing going on here. It's with each other that we co-create that meaning and value. It's how Paul said, or what Paul described as the I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee. Bless you. This awareness that each one of us has a role to play in binding up the wounds of the world is very much unlike the various Caesars of our planet who continue to insist that we must fit into a single mold of their choosing, promising that if we embrace their mold of uniformity and we march to the beat of the drummer, all will be well and the enemy will be defeated. Does that sound familiar? Have we heard that drumbeat before? And so for 3,000 years, these antichrists, if you will, have driven some of the children of Hagar through Ishmael and some of the children of Sarah through Isaac to forget that they are all the children of Abraham. And by transformation, we've been adopted into that lineage as well. But these Caesars and what Brennan Manning calls the slick, sick, and sinister imposter of our true self is constantly stalking us, even in our sleep, yelling at us that unless we take care of number one, all will be lost. Anybody else heard that voice? 
Better take care of number one. Nobody else is going to do it for me. He writes in these words, Touched me, given the advanced age that I'm in. Cunning and crafty, this radical poser of my egocentric desires exploits my temporary amnesia, a.k.a. the lack of short-term memory, to make me forget, among other things, that everything I am is grace. And in fact, I even need grace to accept grace as grace. I need grace to recognize the true self, the inner true self, that is the incarnate love of God. And somehow, when I take a moment to listen, wow, I almost thought that was a ringing of a meditation bell right then. It felt like that, didn't it? Did it feel like that to you? Wow. Somehow when we take a moment to listen, we realize that this is a lie. As a friend of mine in Tennessee used to say, this is a lie from the pit of hell. <laughs> Many of you know I get to spend a day every week with the men of Lompoc Federal Penitentiary. Where at the end of the day, they're doing penance for whatever misdeeds they committed. And they're doing it under very difficult circumstances. Very difficult circumstances. I get to work with these guys. I facilitate a group that helps them to get ready for being released back into society. Maybe there's a a stepping stone there of being released into a camp or a halfway house, whatever it might be. Or maybe they're going to just be released back into where their journey started and centered around a spirituality of God as they understand God. We work on basic life skills, personal responsibility, personal relationships, decision-making, those kinds of things. But just this last Monday, the group that just started in September, so I've got two groups now going, and this new group of 14 men, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, the wisdom that they bring to the table already, it's just over the top. Every last one of them, if you all seen Shawshank Redemption, where nobody's guilty, every last one of these guys embraces and owns their own guilt. They're not making any... I mean, we don't talk about it, we don't ask, and they don't, you know, they don't tell. They don't, we don't go into that detail. But they embrace that what they did was wrong, and it hurt so many people. They especially see it in the way that it hurt their families. That's their main connection to owning that. So they had an opportunity to share at the end of this first workbook. Gave each one of them five minutes behind behind the altar, not the altar, but the podium. And this group is made up of multiple races and multiple religions, including the religion of none. But almost every last one of them spoke of the gratitude 
that they feel when they come into that meeting for 90 minutes. It's almost like a sanctuary has been created in the middle of a scenario where they can't even eat with who they want to eat in the chow hall because in order to avoid violence, they're segregated. The whites sit with the whites. The Hispanics sit with the Hispanics. The blacks sit with the blacks. And the pedophiles frequently don't have a place to sit because they're the target of everybody else, the scapegoat, if you will. That's enforced by the guards because they want to mitigate against the possibility of violence. But they celebrate the fact in this little small room in religious services, 14 guys elbow to elbow, and they could care less about race, creed, or color, or whatever the crime was. It's meaningless. They come together and they talk about the joy they have of being in family. And they even take it this far, knowing as they do that whatever is shared in prison will probably be used against you in prison, they're vulnerable with each other. They had one, we have one guy in the group that loves to say, I'm so blessed, there's no time to be stressed. All right? Which is good, but you can hear a little bit of passive aggressive in there, right? Right? And I have another guy that had the courage to speak up and say, well, I wish I could be blessed that much because I'm feeling some stress and I want to know what it is that I'm doing wrong. And it gave me an opportunity it gave me an opportunity to suggest maybe you're listening for the voice of God in the noise. And maybe where you need to listen for the voice of God, maybe, consider, have you ever tried to hear God's voice in the silence? But I leave you with this. They're being family by being vulnerable with each other. My goodness, sometimes even our immediate families cannot be vulnerable with each other, let alone the vulnerability that we can share here in this place of mercy and acceptance. They're finding the shalom of grace. And as I connect with my inner self, and I try to connect with yours, that's where we can meet the God of love together. I leave you with this little poem entitled, Already a Blessing. Already, each and, each and every one of us is already a blessing by a lady by the name of Jan Richardson. I do not know how it knows to show up. 
that visitation that comes as grace, as gift, as surprise beyond reckoning. I know only that when it arrives, it feels like liturgy, like sanctuary, like a heart that opens to us. And it has already gathered us in. Amen. Come and go with me to that land. Come and go.